Council's ambitious decision to kick the can is history in the baking. This week, Council heard once again about community safety, well-being, and policing. And this week, Council did exactly as much as they always do to take action on it. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we are Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 124, where I'm recording from the middle of a nightclub because I've got the secret vaccine juice and I am immune to consequences. Neener, neener, all of you wait in line. (laughs) I'm glad you got the first dose. That's great. Vaccine hurts your arm a little bit. You know what hurts more than the vaccine? What's that? COVID. Yeah, good call. On to the rapid fire. This week, AHS physically closed the Grace Life Church in Parkland County, erecting temporary fencing all around the perimeter of the property. The enforcement comes after more than half a year of flagrant health code violations by the church. We spoke to someone who appeared to be the de facto leader of the protesters outside the fence, who said he was absolutely livid that his freedoms were being stifled by an oppressive government and that the government had no right to take control of this land that clearly belongs to them without permission. The protesters acknowledged a silver lining, however, knowing that their fight would go down in history. Said one protester, quote, such a theft of land by the government has never happened before in the history of our country. And I'm proud to say that Jason Kenney has told me directly that this dark day of shame by the government will be immortalized in the new Alberta curriculum. Edmonton Councillor Mobanga announced this week that he plans to seek re-election in the fall. The councillor, best known for his achievement of unintentionally bringing cringe comedy into council chambers, was excited at the prospect of continuing to represent the ward with new faces on council. While in the past, councillors have grown old and resigned their positions when they were retiring, Banga was excited at the prospect of flipping that conversation, saying, quote, this is my retirement plan. Other retirees spend their time relaxing in a chair, annoying those around them by droning on and embarrassing themselves by being woefully out of touch when they talk. I'm getting paid $117,000 per year to do that. Summer may be coming and temperatures are warming around the city, but a group of climate change researchers at the University of Alberta may have found a breakthrough way of reliably lowering temperatures. The group of experts have revealed through a decades-long expansive study that a surefire way to guarantee instant temperature drops and even extreme weather like blizzards is to simply change your summer tires this early. The group concludes, quote, If any of you jerks schedule even one appointment to get this done before May long, my dead, frost-frozen tomatoes will have their pulpy blood on your hands. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. This episode is brought to you by Shift by Alberta Innovates. Our province is a hotbed of innovation. Now in season two, Shift's hosts Katie Dean and John Hagen put the spotlight on Albertan innovators working to improve the world one ripple at a time. Here's a taste of the Shift podcast by Alberta Innovates. Make Shift by Alberta Innovates your next podcast binge. Join us as we take a deep dive with the people that are driving Alberta's 21st century economy. These global movers and shakers are working to solve today's challenges, create new opportunities, and build a healthy, sustainable, and prosperous future for Albertans today and for generations to come. Just when you think you know all about Alberta, 
We're here to shift your perspective. I don't know if I could stress this enough. We have a top three institution in arguably the most important technology in the entire world right now. We will prove a lot of people wrong by coming out of this even stronger. And the way we will do it is by finding ways to help businesses be cash flow positive and by willing to, you know, find the ways that we can help. We're just starting to scratch the surface. And I mean, Calgary just this uh, last month announced the fact that they broke their record again for venture capital investment. And some of this is in fintech, some of this is in a whole bunch of different areas where we originally didn't even you know, have these types of core industries in Alberta. We have diversification in our DNA. We just have forgotten about it. Sincerely, we are blessed in Alberta to have all the infrastructure that we do have. Tune into Shift by visiting shift.albertainnovates.ca or your favorite podcast app. So this week was a bit of an odd week for me because usually the way this format on the show works is I tweet something outrageous and that causes news and then you ask me about it and (laughs) that script's been flipped this week where council was talking about the community safety and well-being task force. I'd say colloquially known as the anti-racism task force or the defund the police task force that was established after last June when... BLM and George Floyd and all of the social issues came to a crux. Council decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to establish a committee and that will solve this problem forever. So this week, the report came back and Mac, did they solve the problem forever? Most definitely not. I think our initial criticism of that task force proved to be quite on point. I don't want to take anything away from the work that the task force members themselves did. I think they did strong work in a very short period of time. I understood they met weekly, essentially, since November uh, to progress their work. Their final report was released on March 30th. It has 14 recommendations in there. As you said before the show, and as Councillor Henderson said during the meeting, there's nothing particularly surprising amongst their recommendations. There are things like um, moving to an independent, integrated call evaluation and dispatch model, which is something that council had talked about last summer. There's examine and pursue ways of preventing the unnecessary use of force, changes to professionalize policing through a regulatory college, establish mechanisms to provide direction to peace and bylaw officers, be more transparent, bring some independence to the public complaints process, like lots of things that you would expect and, and that we'd heard about before. And then there's the 14th recommendation, which is bring police funding into line with comparable cities and tie a portion of funding to specific performance. Basically, that's the recommendation that says we should either decrease the amount of funding that we give to the police or make some kind of change to how we fund community safety in our city. So that's kind of the context. And going into the meeting that the council had, it was a bit unusual because this report went right to city council rather than going to a committee first. So nobody was allowed to speak to it, but there were some members of the task force there to talk about their work. Council got to ask them questions and got to ask questions of administration. And they talked about a lot of things, although the the funding was a big part of the conversation. I think Andrew Knack put the point to a head this week when I saw one of his tweets or Facebook comments essentially outlined in the past budget, we cut 50 million across the city in various programs. We laid off a bunch of staff members, we cut services, and we gave an additional 10 to $11 million to the Edmonton Police Service. This is a service that has not had a decrease in funding in the past 
foreseeable forever. Ever. Even when we were in the austerity days, yeah, of um, the roads can crumble because we got Bill Smith for mayor. Police always got their dues. Maybe that explains why there was so much discussion because this would be such a big change, but not an unwelcome or a surprising change. So what happened on Tuesday? Well, they started doing the discussion and they got into some of the recommendations and they got into asking questions of the task force. The task force members drove home that point that you just made, that the police are the only part of the city that hasn't essentially experienced any kind of a pay cut um, and that that should be reason enough alone to look at it, not to mention all of the other problems that are highlighted in the report. But ultimately what happened is Councillor Henderson put forward a motion, two-part motion, to try to take this work forward. So the first part of the motion really deals with those first 13 recommendations and says administration and the police commission should go and figure out a way to make these things happen. And then the second part of the recommendation deals with that funding question and the recommendation around that. And as you know, council often does, basically asked for another report. So uh, it was a kind of an interesting conversation because they didn't actually spend as much time talking about the contents of those recommendations, as you would think, they spent an awful lot of time talking about the motion and the wording of the motion. Councillor Knack put forward an amendment to, to basically add the words inclusion and anti-racism into the first part of that motion alongside community safety and well-being. And believe it or not, this was a bone of contention with people and there was a big discussion about it. And I would submit to you, Troy, that they could have avoided this whole problem by not calling this task force something stupid like the Community Safety and Wellbeing Task Force when everybody knew this was about racism. We've made jokes about this in the past in the rapid fire segment about councils spending all of their time debating comma placement on a motion that no one cares about and not debating the meat of the issue. And I will give credit to council right here and say, let's assume that they were unanimous in their agreement that, oh yeah, the task force recommendations are a given. And that is why they spent so much time debating the things that don't matter. If it was the case that all of these recommendations are such a given, and as we know, it is the case that all of these recommendations are things that are not surprising. We heard them from tens to hundreds of speakers last summer, these exact same points. Why doesn't administration already have actionable items? And why wasn't council asking for this before? The result of this first motion is let's kick the can 90 days and have administration draft actionable items. And some of the items on this list are like, don't act racist when policing. <laughs> like, right. this should not be something that you have to take action on. This should be already a default. And if it was revealed that this was not a default, you shouldn't need a motion to do this. There's a, there's a couple other interesting things about this motion. One is it's actually pretty short. I mean, there's two parts to it, but there's basically two paragraphs. And in contrast to the motion that led to the creation of the task force in the first place, which is quite possibly the longest motion in Edmonton City Council's history, like there's no detail in this motion. So the first part is develop a joint strategy to enhance community safety, well-being, inclusion, and anti-racism informed by the report. And there's kind of two parts, as you said, within 90 days on quickly actionable items that the city of Edmonton itself directly controls, and then more in-depth with a report to come back in the first quarter of 2022. So develop a joint strategy is as much detail as we get about what specifically in those 13 recommendations they want to do. And that struck me as kind of surprising, considering how long that last summer's motion 
was. Uh, it did pass unanimously, as you say. The first part of this motion was unanimous. All counselors supported that. But perhaps that's because it's really not clear what that means. And develop a joint strategy doesn't sound like implement the recommendations. It sounds like another report to figure out how they're going to do that. There's basically two ways that I see this report. One is that city council understands that you know all of these things identified in the report are problems that need to be solved. If that's the case, then they're suggesting that city administration just go ahead and do that. Develop a strategy to implement this report and report back. Right. The problem is the crux of this and the crux of the entire outflow of community response from last year was administration and the city police are not doing their job to make citizens feel safe. We have a huge proportion of citizens in the city of Edmonton that do not feel safe interacting with the police or interacting with peace officers from the city of Edmonton. They were giving their truth to a council who, in many ways, Don Iveson especially has said, was a shocker. You know, I had to really reevaluate how mm -hmm. I look at the world because these perspectives were so new. So if it is the case that administration and EPS aren't doing this work on their own, council is the organization that is supposed to hold them accountable. If council, their entire direction is, oh, go be better, that's not enough. Imagine you have a disciplinary for an EPS officer where, you know, there was an incident of police brutality or extreme racism. And at the disciplinary hearing, the judicial opinion was, you need to do better. Can you do that, please? And the officer says, yep. And then he gets a gold star and goes on his way. That is how the police often work, though, right? They get a pay cut or a short suspension or, or something, but they continue to serve as police officers. I mean, what you just described is actually what happened. And that was the reality that this report was hoping to change. And I do not see a single modicum of leadership from city council. I do not see city council doing anything to act as a sort of oversight board on these issues. I see city council saying, well, gosh, gee, there's an election coming up. Why don't we pass off the buck and the next council can deal with this in Q1 2022? I think that's probably a big part of it. And it's surprising that so many of the councillors were actually quite quiet during this meeting. Cartmel, Katerina, Zadig, Walters, Esslinger, they didn't say very much at all, if anything, uh, throughout the whole discussion. The second part of the motion is the one about the funding. And that one did get a little bit more discussion, as you can imagine. There was a bit of a back and forth between Councillor Hamilton and Councillor Henderson in particular about whether or not these two two parts of this motion should be done in parallel or if they should be done sequentially. And then it was a discussion about which one would go first. Does the funding inform how we implement these other 13 recommendations or vice versa? Uh, do we have to do the first 13 before we can look at the funding or vice versa? So that was a pretty not fruitful conversation that, that went on for a little while, but that was kind of the biggest debate about that one. The thing about the second part of this motion, which is that administration conduct further analysis regarding amendments to the police service funding formula, uh, the thing about this is that council had already suspended this. So this is policy C604. This policy is the one that identifies and outlines how the police get an increase every year when everybody else has to fight for theirs. Council suspended this policy last summer when they made that change to the increase that we previously talked about, kind of implying that they knew there was a problem there, that they had to do something about it in the summer. They waited essentially until this report came back with a clear recommendation that they should look at that formula before they went and asked administration to say, hey, if we changed this, what would the implications of that be? 
and it won't come back now until quarter one of 2022. So almost two full years after those public hearings would have taken place is when they will finally get this motion back. And as you pointed out, it'll be a new council that has to decide that. Mayor Iveson had a very odd comment during the debate. He, he essentially said, this city council can't make funding decisions for the next one, which is incredibly odd for the mayor to say because it, I don't see any world in which it's true. The funding formula itself specifically accomplishes that. <laughs> There's a policy in place to decide how those increases are going to come in so that future councils don't have to make that decision. And of course, they could change the policy or suspend it or whatever, but there's inertia that prevents that from happening in most cases. To say nothing of the fact that we do multi-year budgeting, and yes, we make adjustments every year, but for the most part, council is making decisions today that will be binding on future councils. So it was a very, very odd thing for, for him to say. And it was, you know, one of the examples of this last recommendation being so polarizing. You know, it's it's the defund the police recommendation, essentially, even though that's really not what the, the task force was uh, was recommending. Now, I know in talking to you in the past that you really hate this word, but a lot of the discussion around this motion, you know, council saying that they're taking action when... They're not. Iveson saying that they can't make funding decisions for future council when the policy they're actively discussing was one that they use to make funding decisions for future council. All this feels a little bit like gaslighting to me. Yeah, as you say, like, I don't like that word. I feel like it's overused and probably most cases used incorrectly. But this week, I feel like it's pretty accurate. Describes what council was talking about. I mean, Henderson and Knack were trying to make a really clear point that they were taking action. And they framed this first part of the motion with the 90 days as is basically taking immediate action. And I think for myself and, and for lots of people listening and paying attention, that just doesn't square with what's happening here. I think it was very clear that it was a kick the can down the road kind of discussion. Uh, it was very clear that they didn't want to make a decision about funding and that they were going to leave that to the next council. They could have taken leadership and made a decision. They could have had hallway discussions and come to the table with a motion that was much more detailed and clear than the one that ultimately ended up getting passed. Council has shown that they've done that in the past on other issues. On this one, there was none of that. This very much felt like, a, we don't want to deal with this right now. We're going to leave it to the next group. We're going to make it look like we agree with all of these uh, recommendations from the task force without actually doing much to make those recommendations a reality. There were two parts to this motion. What was the result? Who voted for what? So the first part, the 13 recommendations and the 90 days and, and the, the report back, that was unanimous. Everybody voted, including uh, Councillor Nickel, voted in favor of that. That was unanimous. The second part, this get a report back on what would be the implications of changing the police funding formula, that one passed as well, but eight to five. So it was a much closer vote. We had Cartmel, Zadik, Hamilton, Nickel, and Walters all voting no on that second part. It's not clear exactly why everybody voted no the way that they did. Hamilton and Cartmel are the current two city councillors on the police commission, so maybe that had something to do with it. As I mentioned, Councillor Hamilton was talking about this idea of prioritization and sequencing and which things should come first, so it's fair to suggest that she might have voted no for that reason. Uh, it's unclear why Zadok, Nickel, and uh, Walters all voted no. So I hate to ask, um, but, you know, it's unclear why they voted this. Did Zadok and Nickel say anything in the meeting? 
I do believe Zadok said a couple of things. He said yes when asked to vote on things, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like to, to to move another round of questions or whatever. Uh, Nickel did ask a bunch of questions of the task force, and he was quite antagonistic about it, quite belligerent about it. Rob Hooley, who we've had on the show before, I thought handled it very uh, professionally and and calmly and, and took it in stride and, and did a very good job of sticking to his guns without sounding you know, really unprofessional in response. I don't think I would have been able to to keep it together quite as well as he did. But he, you know, Nickel essentially at one point asked him if he thought that transit fares or fines were racist and like an impossible kind of question, just meant to drive a wedge between people. Um, but of course, it was what happened after the meeting on Twitter that really revealed what Nickel thought about this. He framed that second part of the motion vote as a defund the police vote and, and pointed out that he put he voted no to defunding the police. I empathize with some of the city councilors on this because it can be hard to communicate your message and give people who have limited bandwidth an understanding of the issues. Now, does that mean you should be a coward and vote against things that make our city better for people who, frankly, have the least? Yeah, I don't think being a coward is the right solution here. But I do empathize with the difficult situation um, councilors are in and... Them's the breaks. You get $117,000 a year to do this hard job. So do it a little bit better, please. Yeah, I wish they would have shown that a little more clearly. I mean, there was points throughout the meeting where that happened. So the task force representatives that presented started with this message of believe us. Believe us when people say that they don't feel safe. Believe that our Edmontonians who don't have the same lived experience as you do, and they experience this in a, in a much different way. And Mayor Iveson, you know, did say, I believe you, you know, very clearly at the end of his remarks. And, you know, I think a lot of uh, the councillors McKean and, and others really mentioned that they appreciated the vulnerability that people brought to this work and that they did agree with them. But, you know, just saying I believe you is not the same thing as I believe you and I'm willing today to do something about it, which is the part that I felt like was missing. It's clear we're absent the tomorrow this will be fixed part of this solution. But what's the next step? Where are we going from here? Well, I think what ended up happening this week is that this really moved to the top of the list for election issues in the upcoming election. Uh, The very last page of the report, actually, from the task force talked about this and, and said that they issued a call to action that the year 2021 represents a unique opportunity to impact change in our city's highest institution Edmonton City Council. And they referenced, you know, the municipal election as an opportunity to highlight candidates that champion inclusion and bring different perspectives of lived experience and can demonstrate allyship in the fight against racism. So, you know, the report, I think, already saw where this was going. The task force already saw where this was going, that the only way you're really going to have an impact and have a, a change in the kinds of action we see from council is to have a change in council itself, to have a more diverse council, to have councillors who represent the parts of the community, the Edmontonians who currently don't feel as adequately represented and who do have different experience. So that was the call to the action in the report. And I, and I think this decision by council kicking the can down the road past the municipal election in October really sets this issue up as the election issue. I, I don't think there's going to be a candidate who's successful who doesn't take a strong position one way or the other on this issue. I do have a fear, and we actually talked about this with um, Michael Jans when he was on talking about the potential for a referendum in the school board election. The idea that, well, now racism is going to be an election issue and candidates are going to have to have a position. And like, what if the result is 
no, we don't want to act on racism. That's a very dangerous question to be put to the electorate for what amounts to a populist vote. I agree with you 100% that this is going to be an election issue. I don't necessarily think it'll be a good thing, though, especially with the rhetoric we've seen from Councillor Nickel this week. And, you know, he'll have a mayoral platform. I worry about the outcome of this. And I worry when electioneering and dirty politics gets involved in the discussion about making our most vulnerable safe in the institutions of Edmonton, I don't know that that's a recipe for success. Yeah, I I think you're right. I think it is fraught with danger. It would have been a better position for Edmontonians had this council made a clear leadership move and made a decision about what we're going to do on, say, funding the police before we go into that election. I mean, the flip side to that, I suppose, is that had they, let's say they had, you know, abolished this formula and decided to do that before the election and replaced it with something different. Perhaps that would have given more fuel to the Mike Nichols of the world that they really did defund the police. But now, even without having taken that step, that's already how he's framing it. And and I think it is a dangerous position to be in. And I would feel better had council, you know, made the decision that they kind of said they wanted to make, right? I mean, they, they sort of implied that this report is all good and they want all these things to happen and they need to do it and, and sort of threw their hands up in the air and said, oh, we don't have time to do it before the election. It's like, well, you could have, you, you could have done it. And I think we'd have been in a better position if they did. One way we were hoping as a city to be in a better position than we were previously was with the bus network redesign, which is now due to launch at the end of the month. April 25th is that big date. And in the last hour, um, a counselor you know him, you love him, John D. from Ward 3, friend of the podcast. He has raised up a motion that said, we need to halt this plan that was due to be deployed over a year ago, but got delayed because of COVID. We need to stop this because I'm outraged. People are outraged. And he said, quote, it's a problem that doesn't need to happen right now. We have the time to get this right, end quote. So Mac, why does John D. deserve the Knob of the Week award this week? <laughs> this bus has left the garage, John D. Uh, the bus network redesign is happening, whether he likes it or not. The signs are up. You know, they're getting other reports. They're going through the final details. We had Carrie Hot McDonald on the show. She talked about it. This is not a thing you ask for 14 days before the rollout of this new redesign. Not only 14 days before the rollout of the redesign, a year after the redesign was supposed to happen, the one that was a decade in the making, right? it just got delayed. And this is the extended deadline. I mean, it's a lightning rod kind of issue that maybe he thinks he can curry some favor for. But I mean, the more pragmatic and collaborative way to approach this as a counselor is to say, I hear you. I hear that the public is having concerns with this. I understand uh, that this is going to impact some people negatively. And I'm going to work with you to improve it and to make sure that we incorporate that feedback into uh, the changes that are made on the fly as we evaluate this. Not to say, let's just scrap the whole thing altogether. Like, what, what is that going to accomplish? I mean, he obviously knows there's no realistic way it gets scrapped. Um, and this is strictly about getting his name in the media. And, uh, and that way it succeeded. I will remind all of our listeners, I've said this before, John D. is a North counselor. He's saying that, you know, some of my neighborhoods 
And to his credit, he's right. Some of his neighborhoods don't have bus service. Most of them have on-demand, the new on-demand transit services. But a couple of them don't have the population or the demand to have an on-demand transit service. So they frankly just don't have really any transit service. And you know what? That sucks. The way you fix that is you give budget. This bus network redesign was taking resources we had and putting them where they're needed the most. And sorry, John D, in the northernmost parts of your ward, that's not where it's needed the most. Right. And if you wanted to change that, feel free to send more funding to ETS. I know a branch manager who will happily take your checks. <laughs> Some checks that won't be cut, though, is from Edmonton residents to that good old automated enforcement reserve. We got a report presented to council this week by administration that estimates 20 million less than previously budgeted over the next two years from automated traffic enforcement or the good old photo radar. Yeah, and that decrease in funding is for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is obvious. There's less people on the road and fewer tickets being issued throughout the pandemic, although there was some news this week about people speeding as usual. So there's always people who are going to speed, just less of them, I guess, than there were before. But the other main reason uh, and the primary reason that the city said this revenue is down is a decision by the provincial government to reduce the share of revenues that go to cities from traffic enforcement. Uh, not only that, but the provincial government has also put a moratorium on any new photo radar sites. So we can only enforce on our existing sites. So it's burning at both ends of the candle. In Edmonton, we, of course, use this fund to fund Vision Zero in a lot of ways. And so it's disappointing to see that they decided to cut some programs in the safe mobility strategy because of this decrease. 2.6 million is the amount that they've cut over two years. So what got the axe? They voted unanimously to reduce funding for two of the programs and 12 to 1 to reduce funding for one of them. So the school safety program, which funds improvements to pedestrian crossings around elementary students and things like that, loses a million dollars. The project to lower residential speed limits to 40 kilometers from 50 will lose 1.3 million. Uh, a lot of that budget was for new speed limit signs. And so they're basically just going to reduce the number of signs that they're putting up, which is a win. Very interesting, right? Like, very, like, why didn't they just do that in the first place? <laughs> Specifically because so many members of council were saying, I'm concerned about the quantity of signs. Right. I mean, now the administration just says, oh, we're going to reduce the number of signs and it's all good. It's like, okay. And then they did increase a little bit of funding, 700000 for these community activation programs, which were talked about a few weeks ago. So this is the Vision Zero Street Labs, where communities get to design their own temporary safety measures. So they're planning to still do that. And that's expected to start in the next couple of weeks. This really highlights one of the key issues with well-intentioned policies that go awry. Because, you know, taking all the money that we use from photo radar and using it to fund traffic safety initiatives, that's a feel-good policy. That's a good policy because, you know, it takes these people that are behaving dangerously on the roads and it translates it into more safety on the roads for all those other users who are affected by the people that speed. That's a good policy. The problem is we've taken this policy a little bit too far and said, oh, well, now that since we're funding this via photo radar, we can only fund this via photo radar. And right. if photo radar tickets drop, then suddenly no one gets to be safe on our roads anymore. And that's, that's a little bit of backwards thinking there. Problematic, to say the least. With Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. And this episode, Edmonton Community Foundation is giving our Pod Power shout out to your forest. 
You can hear stories about the environment, renewable resources, conservation, forestry, hunting, fishing, and more. This is a podcast for those who cannot live without the joys and wonders of all wild things. You can find Your Forest wherever you get your podcasts or at yourforestpodcast.com. That's yourforestpodcast.com. And that's all for this week. I know last week we plugged some people's agenda listening sessions and those went on. That happened. How was that? We did. We had uh, the one about will we spend less on police today? Uh, We're recording this on Thursday, April 8th. Uh, So that was timed very, very well with the release of the report this week. And it was uh, another good turnout and really good discussion and really interesting to hear some of the reasons why. Um, That issue is so important to Edmontonians. There's three more to go. Will we house everyone? Will we act on climate change? And will we build our city intelligently? So they happen every Thursday at noon, and you can find all the details at tapridedmonton.ca. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Well, no, I was going to plug Taylor Swift because her new album releases tonight. But you know what? Taylor Swift doesn't need my plugs. (laughs) She's going to do just fine with that shit. I think so. 